Good morning again, and welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Now, last week, in our Christmas in the Psalms series, we read Psalm 110, which, as we mentioned, is the most frequently quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. But, in addition to being the most quoted in the New Testament, Psalm 110 might be one of the most confusing of all the psalms, at least until you read it in the light of Christ. Because when you read it in the light of Christ, you can piece it together just a little bit better. David may not have known it fully at the time, but he was writing about Jesus in Psalm 110. Jesus is the one that David calls Lord. Jesus is the one invited to sit at God's right hand. Jesus is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. And in fact, Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior and Deliverer of God's people, the one born to the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem, the one that King Herod so greatly feared, the one whose birth was marked by the supernatural appearance of a star over a manger, the one whose coming we remember and celebrate at Christmas. But then another big theme from Psalm 110 that we discussed was the greatness of Jesus. The author of Hebrews echoes Psalm 110 to show that Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Melchizedek, greater than Moses, and greater than David as well. But what exactly is it that makes Jesus so great? Why is he so worthy of our praise? Well, it's not just his identity as God's son. It's not just his miraculous birth. It's not just his sinless life. The greatness of Jesus isn't just seen in the manger and isn't just seen at Christmas. It's also seen on the cross. We quoted Hebrews a couple of times last week. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we read this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Sounds pretty great. And then in chapter 7, verse 26, we read, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, First for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Sounds pretty great. But look again at those phrases that we just read. In chapter 1, verse 3, there is this phrase that Jesus made purification for sins. In chapter 7, there is that phrase that Jesus offered up himself. Those phrases don't refer to the manger in Bethlehem, but they refer to the cross in Jerusalem. And then again in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified 
all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So the author says that Jesus made purification for sins, that he offered up himself as a sacrifice, and that he became the perfect founder of our salvation through suffering. We become sons and daughters of God, worshipers in God's family through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and victorious resurrection from the grave. And as the author of Hebrews makes that argument, especially that last phrase we read in chapter 2, he quotes Psalm 22, the psalm that we'll be reading this morning. So with that, open your Bibles to Psalm 22. Feel free to use the Bibles that we provide if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. But before we do any further reading, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for this third Sunday of Advent. We've talked a lot about waiting and anticipation and delayed gratification, and here we are, third Sunday in, Christmas is getting closer and closer and closer, and I'm sure many of us are relieved that shopping is done, relieved that family has been seen, that engagements have been fulfilled, that responsibilities have been accomplished, but Father, many of us, I'm sure, are also getting a little bit antsy, getting a little bit stressed that we're only Eight days away from Christmas, and there's still so much to do, and still so much to see, and so many people to visit. But Father, I pray that as we sit in this room right now, that we would focus our attention to you, focus our attention to your word. Thank you for the privilege we have of gathering here and worshiping you this morning. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's begin by reading Psalm 22, starting in verse... One, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. 
you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. David's words in Psalm 22 are depressing, to say the least. This is classified as a psalm of lament. A more familiar word might be grief or mourning. And David's words in verses 1 through 21 describe a profound sense of loneliness and hopelessness. There's mention of enemies gathering around to mock and persecute him. There are these heart-wrenching descriptions of the pain and the loss that he's suffering. There are repeated requests for God to deliver him, for God to do something, for God to do anything. But that being said, there are also comments throughout about God's character and God's trustworthiness. David reminds himself that God has saved those who came before him and that God can save him too. David reminds himself that God is still holy, that God is still good, that God was with him from the moment he was born. It's almost as though David is trying to talk himself out of the overwhelming sorrow and the overwhelming frustration that he feels as he writes. Now, have you ever felt this way? Alone, exhausted, lost, forgotten. You feel like you have nothing to look forward to. You feel like you're doomed to nothing but despair. I imagine that's how the Israelites felt as they waited and waited and waited some more for a Messiah to finally come. In times like these, you want to believe that God still cares for you. You try to convince yourself that he's still there. Try to convince yourself that he still hears you and will eventually deliver you. But the truth is that every day that passes without some sense of his presence, some answer to your prayer or some kind of relief makes trusting him just a little tiny bit harder. Well, it might bring you some comfort to know that you're not the first person to feel that way. And you certainly won't be the last. It might help to know that David and countless other believers have read Psalm 22 in their times of hardship. The same way that you might be right now. But to be honest, what should bring you the most comfort in your times of hardship isn't knowing that David wrote Psalm 22. What should bring you the most comfort isn't knowing that believers for generations have experienced similar pains to what you're experiencing. What should bring you more comfort than those things is knowing that Jesus, your Lord and Savior, the Messiah, had his own Psalm 22 moment as well. For that, we go to Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 21. We read, 
And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. It's ironic that at Jesus' birth, he's offered myrrh as a gift for a king. But here, he's offered myrrh as a drink for a criminal as he dies. Verse 24. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. The Messiah they've been waiting for, right? Verse 27. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. In Mark's account of Jesus' death on the cross, Psalm 22 echoes loudly. Hopefully you noticed it as we read. Jesus was mocked by his enemies as they surrounded him. He was stripped of what little clothing he had left, And soldiers essentially played poker for what remained. His bones were likely out of joint as he hung there. His heart would have felt like it was melting as he tried to breathe. His mouth was dry. And of course, his hands and feet were quite literally pierced. You know, as David wrote Psalm 22, he felt like he was dying. But as Jesus hung on the cross... He actually was dying. And as Jesus breathes his final breaths, he quotes the first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, in my Bible, verse 2 of Psalm 22 is translated words of my groaning. And it's likely something similar in your Bible. But a more literal translation could be something like roaring words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those aren't the mumblings of someone who's 
a little bit annoyed or disgruntled. They aren't the whinings of someone who's sick and tired and maybe even fed up. Those are roaring words. That is an agonized scream. Now, why does Jesus quote these words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does he feel as though God the Father has abandoned him, forsaken him as he hangs on that cross? Well, obviously, he's experiencing the conscious suffering of crucifixion. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. He felt every ounce of physical pain that you or I would feel if we were crucified. Being the son of God doesn't make crucifixion any less painful. But on top of that, as he hangs on that cross, Jesus is facing more than just the physical pain of crucifixion. He's bearing the weight of God's judgment for our sin. It's no wonder, then, that Jesus feels as though God has turned his face away from him. One theologian describes being forsaken by God as the ultimate horror in the pages of Scripture. Conscious suffering, the weight of God's judgment for sin, being forsaken by God. You put it all together and you might go so far as to say that Jesus went through hell as he hung on that cross. And as Jesus hangs there, when he quotes Psalm 22, he doesn't ask for deliverance. He's merely expressing pain. Now, it's true that Jesus did ask for deliverance in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked God to take that cup of suffering away from him if God would allow it. But God made it clear that in order to sit at his right hand, the way David talked about in Psalm 110, Jesus would have to go by way of the cross. And that's exactly what he did. Now, Jesus did this for you. He suffered a worse fate than any of us could ever suffer. His pain on the cross greatly exceeds David's pain As he wrote Psalm 22. And Jesus deserved none of it. He took on sin, judgment, death, and hell on our behalf when he went to that cross. So that, as the author of Hebrews said, many sons and daughters could come to glory. So that we could be his brothers and sisters in God's family. So that we could sing God's praise in eternity. Jesus was forsaken by God temporarily so that we wouldn't be forsaken by God eternally. And as Jesus hung on that cross, he quoted Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But keep in mind, we've actually only read the first 21 verses of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a famous passage for obvious reasons, and it's understandable that people would tend to focus on the beginning, because that's the part that Jesus quoted. But there's much more to Psalm 22 than just the roaring words of agony. Jesus, of course, knew that as he hung there, and we should know it too. So, Psalm 22, starting in verse 22. 
I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. So after those gut-wrenching words of Psalm 22, verses 1 through 21, David makes a pretty stunning shift. He starts talking about worship and confidence and deliverance and the glory of God. The sufferer who quotes Psalm 22 may feel as though God has abandoned him. He may feel as though God has forgotten him, forsaken him. However, that won't be the case forever. God will deliver. God will vindicate. If not in this life, then in the next. And as Jesus hung on that cross, he felt every bit of the pain and abandonment of verses 1 through 21. But Jesus also knew the rest of Psalm 22. He knew that his story wouldn't end with agonized screams and mocking enemies and a broken and pierced body and divided up clothes. The story of the Messiah doesn't end with agonized screams, but it ends with songs of worship. It doesn't end with mocking enemies, but a victorious resurrection. It doesn't end with a broken and pierced body, but a new and glorious body. It doesn't end up with divided up clothes of a criminal. It ends up with sinners getting white and clean robes. Sinners like us. God would not abandon Jesus forever. God would deliver and vindicate him. But as he hung on that cross... Jesus knew that he would have to wait. And as he waited, he quoted Psalm 22. Again, I imagine that God's people may have turned to Psalm 22 as they had to wait for their Messiah. They probably felt forgotten, forsaken, ignored by God after all those years of waiting. Jesus felt forsaken, abandoned by God as he hung on that cross, waiting for his deliverance. And sometimes we might turn to Psalm 22 as well, when we feel forgotten or forsaken, 
as we wait for Christ to return. However, as we've seen over the past few weeks, the Christmas season, and more specifically, Advent, is a season of waiting. But as Psalm 22 makes clear, and countless other scriptures make clear, God always comes through. Again, last week we talked about the greatness of Jesus, David's Lord seated at God's right hand. But the truth remains that Jesus didn't get to sit at God's right hand simply by being born. He ascended to God's right hand after living a sinless life, dying a sacrificial death, making purification for sins, offering up himself, perfect through suffering, as the author of Hebrews said. And then, of course, rising from the grave. The birth of Jesus, which we remember at Advent, is a necessary part of the story. But it's definitely not the end of the story. So this Christmas, by all means, spend time thinking about Jesus' incarnation. Think about Joseph and Mary, and the message from the angel, the star over Bethlehem, The shepherds, the wise men, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, all the stuff that we usually think about. But don't just think about those things. Don't just think about a miraculous birth, but think about that sacrificial death. Don't just think of some glorious baby, but think about a suffering savior. Don't just think about a manger. Think about a cross. Read the classic birth story in Luke chapters 1 and 2, but read Psalm 22 and Mark 15 along with it. Remember what Mary's child would eventually endure for you. And remember that you are an adopted child of God because of the hell that Jesus went through on the cross. May we remember that at Christmas. May we remember that at Easter, and may we remember that every other day as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for Psalm 22, a psalm that so many of us can relate to at times of hardship, at times of Frustration and loss and pain. But Father, thank you that loss and frustration and pain don't have the final say for us. Thank you that loss and frustration and pain didn't have the final say for Christ. Thank you not just that Jesus was born. Thank you not just that Jesus lived and taught and did some pretty impressive miracles here and there. But thank you that he went to the cross and suffered and died for people like us. Thank you that you have not forsaken your people. You sent a Messiah. You have not forsaken us as sinners. You sent a sacrifice on our behalf. And so, Father, as we wait for Christ to return... As we deal with the Psalm 22 moments of life, I pray that we would wait faithfully, knowing that 
You came through for all those people waiting for a Messiah. You came through for Jesus as he waited on the cross. And that you will come through for us as we wait for his return. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Christ. We ask this all in his name. Amen.